Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. Beyond the Mask is also sponsored by crnaeducation.com. CRNAs, you can get the CE credits you need by just going to crnaeducation.com. They have over 100 AANA prior-approved credits, all four core CPC modules, and even over 40 pharmacology credits. No subscriptions. It's all online and mobile-friendly. Just go to crnaeducation.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out our CE credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Hey there, this is Sharon. I am in... Hershey, Pennsylvania at the Pennsylvania Association of Nurse Anesthetists meeting. Jeremy couldn't join me here at this meeting. However, listeners, I have been joined by one of our new guest co-hosts, and it's a name you might know. It's Angie Mond, our current AANA president. And whenever we realized that Jeremy could not be here to tape with me for a few hours, I called Angie, and thank God she said, yes, I'll be there to help you out. So, Angie, thanks for joining me. Why don't you tell people a little bit about you if they've been under a rock for about the last nine months? (laughs) Well, Sharon, thank you so much for the invitation. When you reached out and uh, asked if I was available, I was like, of course I am. This is really exciting. I've been on the other side of the podcast a couple times, so I'm looking forward to sitting on the other side. Um, ANA president, I'm from South Carolina. I like to do a lot of work in healthcare policy and what's going on in our industry, so I'm really excited to talk to our guest today. And uh, I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Now, you're not originally from South Carolina, are you? You live there now. I thought you were Minnesotan. Yeah, I think most people can tell my voice. I talk a little bit fast. I yeah. can slow down for all you Southerners. <laughs> I, I, I'm working on my Sharon Pierce accent. Oh, God bless you. I hope you don't get it. Because <laughs> <laughs> right now I say Minnesota with that big long O. So oh, yes. My Scandinavian accent. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we've got a great guest with us today. And he's going to be speaking at this meeting here in Pennsylvania. So, Kevin, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and tell us about your topic today. Good day. Kevin Smith, CRNA, originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I currently reside in Asheville, North Carolina. Made the move about two years ago post-COVID. I think along with everyone else, I was searching for that work-life balance and realized that at this point in my life, the mountains were calling me. So, you know, made the move with my wife and our now dog, who is our child. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name is Clark, wonderful boy. What Uh, kind of dog is it? He is what they call a shepherd, which is uh, his mom was a shepherd and his father was a pit. 
Oh, wow. Wow. Beautiful brindle boy. We're going to have to see pictures. <laughs> that sounds like a big dog. He's a big dog. He just clocked in at 96 pounds. We took him to the vet last week. Wow. Good that for them, good for him to be in the mountains then, I guess. That's good space right. to run. He gives me plenty of exercise, believe it or not. <laughs> and you're in God's country, Asheville. That's right. It's a beautiful city, uh, lots of nature, and I just I love being around it. It's beautiful. So tell us about your topic that you're going to be talking with us today about, Kevin. Sure. So I spend quite a bit of time in executive arenas in terms of hospital administrations. We have 30 or so clients that we meet with on a regular basis. A typical visit to a facility involves meeting with leadership and then meeting with our clinicians. Over the past two years, that the tone has changed in anesthesia, which is kind of what brought me to this topic Influence is something that we've always done very well, as you know, with AANA and, and grassroots leaders, especially in North Carolina and South Carolina. There's a, just a robust amount of leadership taking place, and here in Pennsylvania, it's the same. Uh, what I'm starting to notice now is that the real jeopardy is at the local level. Where we're seeing a change of tone is occurring on the ground, and you know, thinking that from a global perspective, it could be the local areas that kind of wreck us on the big stage. Uh, it just kind of made me uh, want to understand the topic a little more, but also be able to translate in business terms and marketing terms what it means for our profession potentially in the future. Tell me a little bit more about your practice. I think I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm an advanced practice anesthesia director for North American Partners in Anesthesia. Okay. I work with a physician and a business partner. Uh, together, we run a region. Uh, my region is currently North Carolina, Tennessee. I will be transferring to Texas over the period of this month. So going even farther south. Oh, uh, so you're moving? I'm not actually moving. It will be a remote remote travel, okay. go to the airport, spend a lot of time in, you know, of all places, uh, San Antonio and oh, uh, hate oh. that. Austin. So, you know, it's... I love San Antonio. That's okay. where I was stationed. Was down there when I was in the army in the nurse Very corps. Nice. You're gonna Very nice. you're gonna enjoy San Antonio. Good. Ah, uh, yes, you will. Good food. Good food. Lots of good stuff. So, uh, what do you see as the primary influencer in the healthcare industry today? Today, I think it's there's a question mark over that. Uh, I've been looking. Uh, you know, you get a lot of influence from Beckers and some of these big national players who report out. But when it comes to somebody who's doing things really well, there's not one. Obviously, if you look at influencers from a financials perspective, who's sitting at the top of the food chain are the insurance companies. And they're really the ones that are doing extremely well in this climate uh, for certain reasons, you know, other than doing essential health care that clinicians do. Uh, but when you point to hospital systems, a lot of them are really struggling right now. Part of that is due to what's taking place with the reimbursement, but also part of it is due to their expenses. So I, I can't really point to any anybody in particular, which is interesting because it means that whoever emerges as kind of driving healthcare to the next level is going to have to be very influential in doing it. I think a lot of that when we talk about healthcare, well, the environment right now being VUCA, volunteer, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex with a lot of ambiguity, I think healthcare is probably right at the top of that. So I, I, I think you're right on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing that, you know, you would imagine there would be a single, at least somebody you could point to and everybody would say, oh, yeah, those guys are really influential, but they're just not. Hmm. So you wouldn't put Beckers in that category? I would from a reporting out standpoint, but I think a lot of what Beckers does is is to inform 
mm-hmm. uh, to a certain degree. And they're very, they're absolutely amazing at that. Of course, they do many other things. But in terms of actual performance, I guess, uh, who is performing at the level that will influence where we are 10, 10 years down the road. Okay. All right. I can see that. So let's talk about anesthesia and how does anesthesia currently play a role into the national influence or does it as you sit here with the AANA president? That's right. <laughs> so anesthesia should absolutely play a role in what comes next. And we, to be honest, figured through this process, we understand the ORs better than anyone else, right? So naturally, we should have a say in what comes next and even influence the direction. And to a, to a point we do, we're moving out of a period of, uh, you know, surgeon expectations where it was very easy for them to book whenever they want, however mm. they want. Uh, the next step is, is not that simple. We're moving into a period of ORs are going to be driven by anesthesia availability for a little bit which is a tough conversation to have. And, and what I'm seeing is that hospital administrators are somewhat willing to take that next step, but they're still having a hard tra- time having that conversation with the surgeons. Hmm. That's going to be interesting to see if that changes. Honestly, surgeons have always ruled. I'm not too sure how they're going to take this. Yeah, how they'll let up some of that control. And, and in reality, this might be a great opportunity for anesthesia. So so what do you think, how can we be prepared to take that seat at the table if, or, you know, if that door opens? What do we need to have the abilities to walk in and take advantage of it? I think the door's open right now t- to me. Right. Um, I really think that we need to be in spaces that some of us currently aren't. A lot of that is and with the hospital administrations, especially if you aren't outsourced to group, uh, even internal groups, you know, you still have the finance, the CFO managing, you know, a lot of what takes place in the hospital more so than the CEOs now, simply because it's such a deeply tragic financial environment. We influence uh, many administrations to reconsider how they're currently operating. And obviously, efficiency is the king right now. If you can become more efficient, you save a lot of money. It doesn't mean that you're not still going to spend a lot of money, unfortunately. So, Part of our current issue is that we're just really expensive for hospitals, and hospitals don't have the money. And that's that's now coming out of COVID, likely to continue through 2023, and then hopefully next year they'll start turning over a positive profit. Well, I think most people think that hospitals are pretty flush with money after COVID. Yes, you would think so. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them did get, you know, some help during COVID. Well, the Mayo Clinic got plenty of help. Yes. Some of them have endowments, which mm-hmm. is different than your average Joe you know, a community hospital down the street who may be shutting its doors. So there's a lot of different scenarios. You have your big institutions. You have your HCAs of the world that are doing well overall. But you also have a lot of institutions where it's a struggle. And sure. it's a constant struggle. And, uh, you know, North Carolina just passed the Medicaid expansion, mm-hmm. which is going to help out their hospitals a ton. That's something that hasn't taken place in a few states now. Most of them, I think, are in the south. Tennessee is one of those. And uh, hospitals are hurt. They're having a hard time. Attention all certified nurse anesthetists. Are you in need of a reliable and quality continuing education option? Well, look no further than crnaeducation.com. 
We are an NBCRNA recognized provider, offering all four core CPC modules to meet your certification requirements. You can choose from more than 100 AANA prior approved Class A CE credits with 43 articles covering a wide range of anesthesia topics. Need pharmacology CE credits? Well, we've got you covered there as well with over 40 pharmacology CE credits available. All credits are completed online and are mobile friendly. Choose articles worth one, two, or three credits. There's no subscriptions, no hidden fees, just the CE credits you need when you need them. Owned by CRNAs since 2011, you can trust in our commitment to your education. And customer service is always a quick email or phone call or even text away. To sign up and find out more about our education options, visit crnaeducation.com, your partner in continuing education. That's crnaeducation.com. So you said you believe that there are opportunities. What does that opportunity look like? I think the opportunity is currently we need friends. Mm -hmm. uh, we have good leaders in the anesthesia space. We've always been, we get together, we have a good time. We talk about how we're going to advance our futures. What we need is some grassroots folks on the ground level at the local level to start integrating into the state, into their medical associations, into uh, the hospital associations, and to go out there and get friends. Basically because my argument is that we've got a, a tough road ahead of us and we're going to need all the friends that we can get. And influence is really important when you're not in the room. And because of the cost associated with anesthesia now, there's a potential for people to sour on anesthesia because they may be considering that we're the ones limiting the progress and the, the revenue of their ORs when actually, you know, we're trying to improve that. But yeah, we're in a rough patch with this shortage. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to this, Angie? That's As such a great AANA question. President. That's such a great question. <laughs> it, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is that CRNAs need to have a strategy of how to have influence. And one of the things that we're doing at the AANA is developing that strategy of external stakeholders and going beyond our uh, APRN colleagues who are fantastic, but really getting out in there to having CRNAs involved in the American College of Healthcare Executives. Um, I joined this year, and uh, we have other CRNAs that are involved. Several of them are getting the fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives so that when you walk into those rooms with the CFO and the CEO, the F in front of your name means something to them because a lot of it have it also. So to me, you know, I really think we need we needed to get into that space. I love your comment on Becker's. We now have CRNAs that are speaking there. A good friend of ours, Julie Goderman, mm -hmm. spoke at the last Becker's and, uh, and, and talked about things that are important to healthcare executives. So getting out into that space is so critical yeah. for CRNAs in the future. Absolutely. So let's talk about some fears you might have about healthcare restructuring because what I hear you saying is something's going to happen. Something is definitely going to happen. So we are we are currently in an unsustainable place. Um, hospitals are not go going to be able to afford to keep some of their doors open. Uh, you're going to see some closures. The expense side uh, is just something that can't last. Um, and this is, you know, you kind of expect your health system to be able to afford new technology and, you know, items that will kind of advance health and, and make health uh, for the communities better over a period of time. But, uh, you know, I fear that 
being this cash strapped, they're going to be have a really hard time getting the new technology they need to uh, really deliver healthcare in some communities. And part of that we've seen kind of the spoken hub idea where hospitals are shutting down their community hospitals or really shutting down units and then bringing everything to the main hub. So that is kind of one thing. I think one of my fears is for our profession, you know, sitting with some tenured CRNAs here. Oh, that's uh, a good way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> I was that. thinking of another word. That's how you gain influence. <laughs> One of the things that when I came into this profession was amazing to me was our intrinsic value that we placed on taking care of patients and just how, how it was extremely important to us. And it's been that way for me over the course of my career. The market is testy, though. And what I see the market doing is putting in extrinsic motivators for our people, for healthcare workers in general. These intrinsic, extrinsic motivators, sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses, you read the, the literature, business literature, and I hate to say it, you know, but it's, uh, it's avidly against these type of things just because they don't work. They create a different breed of worker. Extrinsic motivation has the potential and will slowly kill your intrinsic system. It's mm. tied to a dopamine release. So the more extrinsic motivation you get, the less in- intrinsically motivated you are. And that's a fear of mine uh, because we're now working into three years of really these extrinsic motivators. And as well, all of the nurses that will be going to CRNA school down the road are, are feeling the same thing. So hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way is as I see when we bring um, new students into our programs that are coming through COVID and doing traveling mm-hmm. for serious amounts of money. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd never thought about it that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, the workforce hmm. is, you're having mass exoduses. Sign-on bonuses, you know, coming from overseeing quite a few clinicians, you know, you get two or three years, and I almost feel like people come in day one and they're working their way out. Not they come in the first day and they're working their way into the group. And how do I move this group forward, make it better, us work together, team mentality? It's just a shift. And uh, it's something that I've seen, so I have to talk about it. So as a healthcare leader, how, how do you think people at CRNAs, especially in your position, can move from that extrinsic motivation to intrinsic? Well, I'll tell you this. If I could get rid of sign-up bonuses and retention bonuses, I would. Huh. So you would just across the board give across everybody board, a done. salary raise? Correct. Well, I'm, I'll come to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what I see is that you know there's there's a lot of things taking place. You you're bringing in somebody new with a large sign-on bonus, and and what does that do to your providers that have actually been there and been through the swamp and stuck with you for that many years? It's it's just not a good look, but. Because of the market forces, we don't really have a problem, or we don't really have a, a choice in the matter. And it's it's become the norm, and we need to figure out how to get rid of it. And one thing that I've seen a lot, because I was a program director for 10 years, and now I'm a department chair, is that our graduates either look for money or practice. And mm-hmm. I wonder if we can get that shift of if health, big healthcare organizations offer a better practice, Ooh. a lot of our graduates will take somewhere for good scope of practice and a great collaborative environment That's right. and forego some of that sign-on bonus piece. Yeah. We just need to get everybody on board with that. And oh, my you goodness. Know, we were That's heading, great. We were heading that direction for prior to COVID, I think. And uh, I really did see a lot of 
future candidates that were interested in, you know, being part of something greater that did have that intrinsic, we're going to be autonomous and uh, we're going to have meaningful work and we're, we're going to support that and drive it, do a lot of the driving work to, to improve it. And, you know, what we see now is people saying the grass is green, even though this job may suck or may not be good, I'm going to do it anyway just because of the money. Of the money. Well, the answer is always money. What was the question is right. what uh, Jeremy, my work <laughs> husband, always says. So uh, we've, we've kind of clarified that we have a very uncertain environment. So how do you navigate influence in this particular environment? I think what, what I propose is, you know, the world according to Kevin. That's right. <laughs> okay. As, I like it. As mentioned, we have, you know, the ANA. You mentioned some of the f- amazing things the ANA is doing. We have our state associations that are also doing incredible work. Uh, what we're missing is that day-to-day frontline worker on the ground influence. And uh. it exists in some places. But when I talk about this additional layer, I, I'm talking about everybody. There are positive associations that can be made with the work that CRNAs do. A lot of us integrate with pharmacies. A lot of us integrate with protocols. Uh, that kind of work is not being recognized and pushed out into the uh, administrative space. So they're aware of what the CRNAs are doing. And I think also, because we're in a shortage, it's hard for us to get out of ORs right now. So it's really hard to expect... CRNAs to get out to the executive space or make time to go visit with leaders around the hospitals and, and, you know, collaborate on some of these items. Uh, It's going to take a little extra effort, which is hard to ask because we're already pretty maxed out, right? We're, uh, those full-time providers are already having a tough time of it, but I'm afraid it's something that we're going to have to do to win the next round. I like the way you think with that. My husband, who was also, he was a chief CRNA and was a director of perioperative services for a big hospital system. And that was one of the things he said all the time. A CRNA has always wanted him in the OR. And his statement back was, you want me sitting in on finance committees in practice and um, where they're deciding the formulary, because that's where we can have influence of what affects you every day. And I think as a clinical CRNA, we need to support our colleagues who want to have a seat at the table in order to advocate for us. That's but right. I think we're I think we're missing that too. I Yeah. I think you're right. And in some cases it never existed. In my initial practice, I I made it because I think it was important. I think it's what the group needed and I think because I did it drew a lot of people to the exciting things that we were doing. And I I think we could reignite that fire, but it has to be a bigger fire. And it's going to take a bigger fire to get noticed. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So what can each CRNA do? You're singing to the choir right here correct i would i would think um considering that um you've got two well one past president and one soon to be past president um of the aana so what can crnas uh who are listening to this podcast talk to them okay so i think 
we have, given the market shortages and whatnot, we're seeing a lot of mass exoduses from institutions. And, you know, this isn't just one or two. This is starting to happen a lot in certain places where we have a group of more, in some cases, than stay there are leaving and going somewhere else to work. Happened to a hospital very close to where I live just recently. So these incidents are negative, have a negative association. The problem with those negative associations is when there's not the positive influence that's currently taking place on the ground, the first thing that the administration is hearing about the CRNAs is we need to give raises, everybody's going to leave, everybody's going to quit, the work here is too hard, like, you know, they're burned out. And this is what's coming to them, and they haven't heard of all the good things we do. So they're starting to create negative, associate negative feelings with us. Uh, at the same time, if, if what's built out on the ground isn't built when, you know, relationships with pharmacy and managers and, and the such, then there's going to be no verbal assistance or people's not, people aren't going to be sticking up for you in the hospital. Uh, so it's hard to overcome that negative, those negative emotions. And, you know, when it's one hospital, that's one thing. But when you have a hospital association meeting and, and this is a big topic of conversation, then it turns into something else. So I think those relationships on the ground are extremely important, maintaining the relationship with your facility. And I, w- I would encourage people to slow down uh, kind of in the, in their local spaces because hospitals are under extreme financial pressure. Anesthesia groups are under extreme financial pressure. And moving on something like a raise, many times it's a multi-million dollar, you know, sum that's that's taking place and that just it's hard to do that overnight to impossible. You know, you've got to find the money. In some cases hospitals are shutting down units to find the money. Uh, and if you're an anesthesia group, you know, it's hard to operate yearly on negative margins. That's just not a very good, you know, business model. So you've got to either find the money or go ask for the money. And those are hard discussions to have, and they take time. Well, let's go down the model route, but in a whole different way. How do we challenge the the, the anesthesia models that, that we have? I mean, yeah. you know, whenever I'm working in a, a doing GI, I don't need to be supervised there. I mean, uh, there have been facilities and in North Carolina who changed their their models, and we know that it saved them money, but nobody's singing that from the mountaintops. Mm-hmm. So why don't you address that? I know that's a little of a spicy topic. It, it is and it isn't. Uh, you know, we, we have these discussions with administrations, and uh, usually, obviously, the we always said, the economics of anesthesia would drive whatever comes next. Uh, and I think we would be seeing more of that if we had CRNAs. The problem right now is that it seems like everywhere is short. So even if we did want to move into these models, we don't have enough people to fill the space. The other piece of that is that's broken, um, obviously, reimbursement. You know, when you have an insurance carrier out there that says we're going to create parity across the board, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. Uh, and that's something that obviously the ANA has been fighting for many years now. Um, so you have to you have to really keep an eye out these days and think about our our government reimbursement rates and how how low they are compared to what private private companies are paying. And you have private insurers kicking us out of network. And you know what's there's there's a lot of uh, signals that are red right now that we need to pay more attention to. Do you see a role for 
companies such as yours in advocating for parity and reimbursement so that you can open some of these models and have 100 100% CRNA practices, but there's such a disincentive sometimes from insurance companies due to reimbursement. Do you see a role for place, you know, companies like yours in that? Sure. You know, I I think when we talk about reimbursement, you know, we we always talk about the ASA as well in our relationship with them. And there, there's a lot of things that we have never worked on ever. Uh, but then there are spaces where we both could be doing a lot of good. And that's one of those areas, I think, where, you know, when I say you need friends, you know, go find as many friends as you can. Uh, but I th- don't think that we've not all reached right. out yes. for, for that. But you do yes. know why yes. that is something that's a problem, right? Every time we ever meet um, with our colleagues they say until we say out loud and admit that the only way to provide anesthesia is through the anesthesia care team i mean as a national president you can't do that because that's not the only way to provide good safe anesthesia quality for our patients and so you know with but i'm with you 100 percent. think how powerful we would all be together Mm -hmm. because who is the ultimate victim of all of that is our patients because they get terrified because somebody's saying uh, that one provider is not as safe as the other provider Mm -hmm. so uh, i'm pretty sure angie and i both are all ears if somebody else knows the answer to this question Mm -hmm. and you know you mentioned that the influence uh nap is a big company but pitted up against the people who actually make make the decisions about what they're going to pay you we're we're very tiny carry very little influence so that's where you know are you talking about cms or cms insurance the big insurance labels uh they're you know we get pushed around by them quite a bit uh we're going to need a bigger snowball yeah, we know the issues that we've recently had with Cigna cutting um, QZ reimbursement rates by 15% for CRNAs uh, with really no reason other than they wanted to, is I often wonder if some, the powerful piece, because I, I agree with you talking about a big snowball, is that if we could get all of the big anesthesia management companies together, uh, the influence that you all could have, I think would be pretty mm. pretty mm-hmm. important. And that would help, especially when Sharon's talking about influence on patients is the rural communities in South Carolina that are having problems with access because yeah. reimbursement is so low and their primary CRNA and when it gets cut 15% for billing QZ, I think that that message could be pretty strong, especially if it came from people that weren't um, individual CRNAs, but right. a, a corporation really looking out for a wide variety Agreed. of facilities. Because at the end of the day, you know, they're not hurting anesthesia companies they may be hurting anesthesia groups in the period of time where you really have to adjust for how you pay your wages and benefits for workers but at the end of the day it's the hospitals that are carrying the brunt of this entire you know these cuts because we're in a shortage we're not going to make less all of a sudden you know that's just not happening right now so if we need money you know we have to go ask the hospitals and this is a very difficult environment for them to find it Mm. Isn't that the truth? And I don't see that this is going to right itself anytime soon. It, it, I think it's going to take time. And I, I want to put kind of a future question out there a little bit too that our, our discussion has made me think about is now that all our nurse anesthesia programs are at the doctoral level, 
and that students are required to take things that are healthcare influence. How do you think we could prepare our graduates mm. to work with you and Napa and all the other companies to create influence? What are the things that programs can do to prepare graduates for that seat? Uh, you know, thinking back to when I was in school coming up in the clinical space, I I originally uh, used to cook food for a living. I was going to be a chef before I changed my mind. So, Boy, that's a far stretch. Yeah, I was thinking it? the same thing. I also played in a band, but we won't talk about those days. Uh, a renaissance man. I was man. a drummer, that's right. That's what they used to call me until I went back to school. Uh, I was very clinically minded when I came out. Very, very scientific. Business didn't make any sense to me. And that's part of what made me very emotional early on in my career is because I didn't understand what was happening. So mm -hmm. I used to get upset about it and the inequity that takes place uh, at the ground level when you're a clinician. That made me motivated to learn business. So I understood what people were speaking behind closed doors and allowed me to step into that space and learn to have those crucial conversations with them that would improve life on the, at the frontline level for our clinicians. The piece about having crucial conversations and understanding what is taking place in the market is eye-opening to a lot of people. I think we have to be extremely transparent about what's taking place and also provide our future clinicians with enough, you know, how much is enough is a question mark, but enough business knowledge to be able to navigate through what's currently happening. Yeah, it's a whole different world for them coming from nursing where you where the word reimbursement just never even crosses right. their mind because nurses aren't reimbursed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, as I sit here on a national commission for nurse reimbursement. <laughs> it's, it's important. Uh, well, as long as nurses are on the cost side of the equation and not the revenue will constantly be cut and devalued right. and there's a whole history how that happened back in the 1920s it's when it started so we've got a hundred years of history to undo to unbundle nurses and let me be on that commission how did I raise my hand for that <laughs> um, no but, one better to lead the charge Sharon. oh lord have mercy attention nurse anesthetists are you ready to take the first step toward being your own boss well, join us for a deep dive into the world of 1099 work with the upcoming workshop, Understanding the 1099 Landscape for CRNAs. Discover the key differences between W-2, PRN, and 1099 work, and equip yourself with essential knowledge, tools, and real-life case studies to make a confident switch to 1099. Not only will you earn up to 5.75 Class A CE credits, but you'll also have the opportunity to learn from the industry's finest, Jeremy Stanley, Sharon Pierce, and more seasoned experts. Plus, enjoy the vibrant sun and golden beaches of Fort Lauderdale while you're at it. This event, approved by the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology, is set for October 19th at the luxurious Marriott Harbor Beach Resort and Spa. Register now and take the first step toward being your own boss and potentially unlock higher earning potential as a 1099 employee. You can register right now at 1099workshop.aana.com. We'll also link to that in the description of today's show. This is an event not to be missed. We'll see you in Fort Lauderdale. 
All right, let's talk about how our profession can, or can they, advance with national and state representation alone? And what do you mean by that, as I read your writing here? Yeah, so so earlier I, I discussed, you know, what a great job the ANA does and also the state organizations do, and, and that's really enforcing that. When we're talking about influence, we're talking about the local level clinicians uh, and the community. Um, you know, we're not confined to our hospitals, even though we sometimes feel that way because we spend most of our time there. I remember when I first started and I would tell people I was a CRNA and some sometimes I would still get the, you're a what? And then, you know, for the past 10 years, it's it's like people know who I am when I walk in and people even say, make sure you get a CRNA if you're going to have anesthesia, you know. Uh, so there is a reputation that we've been building uh, we just have to expand on it. And I, I think, you know, being more visible in your communities and showing that, yes, you care about the patients and yes, you care about being in the ORs, but, you know, we, we also care about our communities and the people that we serve. And uh, we just need to show that a little better. Yeah. Can't just sit on a stool. And how long have we been saying that for quite a few years now? Yeah, there, there's a quote I like from Mary Wakefield that I use in health policy lectures that says, um, if nurses want to have influence, they need to get off the porch and run with the big dogs. And I think we're finally mm-hmm. at a place in nurse anesthesia due to a lot of the things that you've been talking about, that we have a lot of CRNAs ready to run with the big dogs. Yeah. And, and a lot of them are already out there doing it, um, being influential in a lot of those healthcare business spaces. I think it's an exciting future for us. Yeah. So we've talked about the turbulence within the healthcare system, and I can still remember the slides that um, Deb Molina used to put up when she was president about the white water and how we're riding the white water right now. How can we kind of manage this within our profession? Any more tips that you want to offer us for that? I think we're going to have to get some bigger paddles, number one. Um, you know, I, th- I think we're well positioned for the uncertainty because we're, you know, as clinicians, we are extremely versatile. Uh, Clearly COVID show- showed that, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we're not, we're not afraid in the clinical space. Uh, what we need to do is be more aware in the, maybe the emotional space and some of these changes that are taking place or need to take place or some of the wage wars that are happening on the ground, we have to be more cognizant of, uh, you know, who are these affecting? Because we, we know they're affecting us, right? And the people we work with. And it's a shame when we have a lot of people leave our practice, but we also have to look deeper into, you know, what happens when, you know, th- these are, this is a community. Healthcare is not something that is all uh, all of the cases that go on are not elective procedures that just have to happen. There's a lot of, you know, car wrecks, gunshots, things happen to people, strokes, heart attacks that take place. So we have to be there and, uh, you know, just consider that before we make decisions to get up and leave somewhere. Um, in terms of the general turbulence, I think I think we have to show up and be ready to be part of the solution or present solutions. Right now, nobody's really coming forward and saying, this is how you do it. Uh, I think investors see insurance companies and that they're doing pretty well in this environment and uh, maybe contribute that to the fact that they may have figured it out. But in my opinion, they haven't figured it out. They're just shuffling money from one area to the other and shuffling off the expense onto other people. So it's not, it's still not a sustainable way to do it. So I'm, I'm going to 
this is somewhat connected, but talk to me a little bit about how social policy plays into current legislation. Sure. Yeah, I talked a little bit social uh, proof, sorry. earlier about social proof and how there's a lot of information going around today. There's a ton of data. We started collecting data quite a while ago, and data has been king for a while. It helps us get better, but it also, uh, in a way, makes it more difficult to shuffle through what data is actually real data and what data is not real data. So the concept of social proof is that people are making very complex decisions based on what uh, a group or a person thinks. So forget the data, forget the information. Because there's so much of it, we're not going to pay attention to it. We're going to believe what somebody says. And in this case, you know, the, the danger obviously is that you have influencers rise that are not presenting accurate information, which makes it very hard for you to then present your case or your information or something that affects people. Social proof is pretty prevalent in society and legislature and administrations and, you know, we, we see it every day. And I think because of the abundance of information, more people are starting to rely on that method of how to make a decision. Well, I can see this from a social perspective, i.e. Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, funny, I would say Facebook, because I think it rises from within our community. Yes. Facebook. Oh, yeah. Social media. Mm-hmm. TikTok. Influencers who come up who may or may not have all the information but are yet seen as influencers. Right. Am I and, picking up what and, you're throwing down? And doing very, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're doing very well. I mean, you know, most of the people that are in these positions, they rose to the top and are influencing people for a reason. It's because they are very effective at communicating a message. may not be the right message, but they do have uh, talent of some sort. Hmm. How do we harness that talent? Yes, that's a good question. Uh, Bring know, them in the fold, baby. Yeah, I think I think we do have folks that that uh, are very talented and out there, um, we should probably get them together more in the same room. At a time when, you know, I start to talk about getting more friends and building bigger snowballs, you know, one of the things that we haven't done enough of is getting our influencers to the same place and maybe talked about how do we kind of expand our walls and bring more people into this fold and have, you know, one day you're sitting at a conference table, the next you're sitting in a stadium and we're having these discussions, so... I like that. Yeah, I, I like that idea, especially as um, our tenured generation mm-hmm. uh, typically use right. Facebook. But you look at the, I've got a 30-year-old daughter, and that's just not where she's at. They're in Instagram and TikTok and all of those. Is I think the diversity in social media platforms that we have now, that it would be it would be interesting to get a bunch of people in a room like that and and use them to get some of the messaging out with healthcare. I think that yeah. would be, that'd be mm-hmm. fascinating. Russia did it during yeah. the election, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's right. I've often they, said that's what we it. need to do, right? <laughs> right. Um, so as we kind of wrap this up, Kevin, can you tell us any closing thoughts that you would like for our listeners to take away from this conversation? Sure. I don't want to say that we're in a bad spot as a profession. I think we are in a difficult spot, obviously. We're all feeling that on the ground. Um, I think we're also, I say that what's occurring now is going to shape the next generation because obviously there's a lot of disruption. We're not going to see 
any improvement on the current situation, likely for, you know, five plus years, maybe 10 years. So we're kind of stuck in this rut and a lot is going to change. And we either are a part of that conversation or we're not. And just by way of experience, I know that when we're not part of conversations, things do not go well for, you know, you just as a general group. So I would encourage everybody, you know, this is a time when Post-COVID, work-life balance is very important. We're thinking about our families. We're thinking about less work at this point, you know, because work is very hard. It's like we start having to think, we have to think about work again and be very serious about it uh, because what comes next is going to change the practice for, you know, the, the, a long period after that. Very good. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. And thank you for everything that you do within the community for CRNAs and we'll come visit you in Asheville. Yes, I hope do. you have a great oh, house. <laughs> I love Asheville. It's a quick three hour drive for me. It's That's lovely it. up nice. there. Yeah, That's well, it. Says somebody who lives in Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina. Oh my yeah. God. Both of you live in we'll amazing ch- we'll places. We'll trade off. I'll go to the beach. You come to the mountains. That sounds like a plan to me. There you go. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having oh, me. Absolutely. I think it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Mass with the absent Jeremy Stanley, myself, Sharon Pierce, and guest co-host Angie Mund. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Angie, can you tell our listeners how to help the show grow? The best way to help is to like the show, share it on social media, tell your friends, and leave a review, but make it positive. As Jeremy says, we all know there's enough negativity in the world. Beyond the Mask is in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and number one in the CRNA community. Thank you to all our listeners. Until the next time. Hey, CRNAs, it's time to simplify your continuing education. Welcome to CRNAeducation.com, your trusted provider for CPC core modules and a plethora of Class A CE credits. You can explore 43 detailed articles covering various anesthesia topics, all from your favorite device, anytime, anywhere. And with over 40 pharmacology CE credits, meet your state board requirements effortlessly. Whether you need a few credits or everything to recertify, we have what you need. Just complete your credits online without any subscriptions or recurring charges. You can trust in our 100% CRNA-owned platform, established in 2011, ensuring you receive the best in customer service and educational content. Ready to learn? Go to crnaeducation.com making continuing education easy and accessible. And don't forget that support is always a quick email or a text or phone call away. To sign up and learn more, just go to crnaeducation.com. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. 
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.